Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. I'm so glad that you're listening today. At Redeemer, we are committed to connecting people to God's transforming love. And I hope that this podcast is just one more way that you connect to God's presence this week. We are in a teaching series called Ships. Nope, it's not about boats or anything else nautical. It's all about the essential elements of discipleship. Over the course of this series, we have talked about stewardship, citizenship, fellowship, and prayer. And this week, we conclude our series by hearing from Leanne Benton, our worship pastor, on worship. Leanne reminds us that worship is not just singing, and she explores what worship truly is and how it can be woven into our daily lives. So here is Leanne's message for week four of Ships. Well, good morning, Redeemer. It's great worshiping with you today, and a warm welcome to everyone online as well. Many of you may not even know who I am since I joined staff in September of this year, so I thought it'd be helpful to start with a brief introduction. My name is Leanne Vinton, and I'm the worship pastor here at Redeemer. I'm a preacher's kid, and what that means is I have thick skin and I can handle criticism. That's thanks to growing up in the spiritual glass house. And there are my parents right there. Wave to them, Mom and Dad. That's the reason right there. I was saved at the young age of six, and I almost immediately thought I was called to the mission field, that I was going to be living in a grass hut with no electricity somewhere in the world. And that was also thanks to you inviting missionary after missionary who preached at our church and would sit at our table at night and tell of all their grand adventures of missionary work. My fears changed from being a missionary to marrying a preacher when I went to Bible college as a young single girl who happened to play the piano and sing. I guess that was an unspoken requirement for marrying a preacher in the 1990s. Here's a good update. My husband is here this morning, and we've been married 15 years this week, and he's not a preacher, but he's awesome. He loves Jesus, and he loves me. Just a normal guy. So... That's my background there. I ended up pursuing higher education and finding my niche as a worship leader and an educator. I've served in many, many ministries along the way. And so when someone asks me, what's your affiliation? I love to say this. I am a Sinless of God, Open Bible, Methodist, Presbyterian, Charismatic, non-denominational, Evangelical Covenant. Thank you, Redeemer, for the last descriptive. My Myers-Briggs personality test is ENTJ which means extrovert, intuitive, thinker, and judger. You have been warned. Um, I've led worship on six of the seven continents around the world, and I absolutely love corporate worship with the flourishing church everywhere. So Adam asked me to tackle the topic of worship in 25 minutes. I literally said, are you kidding me? Um, I need eight-week series to even get started, but I'm going to try this morning to get a good starting summary for all of us. Contrary to popular belief, worship is not just the 20-minute music portion of the service that we just finished. The Bible is actually full of descriptions and definitions and stories that give us a rich and multi-dimensional view of worship. In the Old Testament, there are many Hebrew words that are translated to worship, encouraging us to do these things, to praise exuberantly, to bow down, to raise our hands, to sing with a loud voice, to make music, to play a stringed instrument, to clap our hands. And in the New Testament, the most common Greek word is translated, it means to kiss the hand of, or to bow down, or to lie prostrate on the ground in reverence and submission. These descriptive words are mostly focused on outward expressions and tell us how to worship. But it is possible to read the scriptures and miss the intimacy and the mystery 
that is also a part of our worship connection with God. Several years ago, when we actually could travel overseas, I had the experience of touring the Vatican in the heart of Rome, Italy. I was absolutely mesmerized as I walked through the hallways and the galleries filled with the most famous art depicting scripture that I had only read about, and now I was actually visually experiencing. It was like a walk through the Bible worship experience. Um, And as we get to the very last room, it's the best anticipation. If you've been there, you understand. They tell you to put away your cameras, you can't take pictures, and it's a holy hush comes over the crowd as you walk into that final room, the Sistine Chapel. Possibly one of the most awe-inspiring masterpieces in the world is on the ceiling which is the nine central stories from the book of Genesis. The fresco that leaps off the ceiling to me was God rushing towards Adam on a cloud propelled by angels. Now, ironically, Adam doesn't look too interested in the God pursuing him in this painting that's often called the creation of Adam. The mystery to me in this work is that small space that Michelangelo leaves between God and man giving us a choice to come close to him as he is pursuing us. It's said that the famous artist was trying to communicate God's great desire to be with his creation. Do you see it? God is waiting for us to turn our eyes towards him, recognizing the God of the universe as our creator and our friend. Worship is us closing that gap, lifting our finger to touch a creator God who is so close and he's eagerly awaiting us. This masterpiece reminds me of the definition of worship written by Evelyn Underhill. And she says this, worship is the two currents of life that meet, one proceeding from the transcendent reality, the other flowing from the religious life of the subject, one descending and the other ascending. So picture this for a moment. The ascending current from us to our creator is filled with prayer and offering and song and art and communion and the list can go on and on, add your favorite thing. And we're just expressing our reverent love and our ardent devotion to God, but that is not where it ends. The descending current is filled with words of revelation and imminent interaction with us as we recognize a living God who wants to have a relationship with his creation. It's not a one-way street. I think we often think worship is only one way. I think, and here lies the miraculous mystery that I think Michelangelo got right. Let's all breathe in and breathe out. It's both and. I think he figured it out four years painting on that ceiling in 1508 in a chapel in Italy. So part of our learnings about worship today, I want to highlight a few truths that will help us frame our worship exchange in the light of scripture. First, we are designed for a transcendent relationship with God to fill in the gaps of our human existence. It's what we were created to do and to be, worshipers of the living God. He created and designed us that way. We often try to satisfy that God-shaped hole with a lot of stuff, jobs and hobbies and kids and all the wonderful things that we have in our lives, and they're all good and they bring happiness, but they are not to replace God. The Apostle Paul in Romans breaks down the human condition pretty graphically when he says this, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created 
instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. How easy it is to fall into the false worship trap. Paul declares in Acts, I notice that you are very religious in every way, for as I walk around the many shrines and I have found the altars that actually said to an unknown God, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. God is the one who satisfies us. He brings peace. He brings everlasting abundance. This is all benefits of worship as we acknowledge God in every single area of our lives. This leads to the second point this morning. Worship overflows into our daily lives out of an awareness of God and a relationship with him. I'm going to say that one more time. Worship overflows into our daily lives out of an awareness of God and a relationship with him. Warren Wiersbe writes this, Worship is the believer's response of all that we are, our mind, emotions, will, body, to what God is and what God says and what God does. Another author, Brenner, writes in 1944, Worship is the conscious human awareness of the presence and the purpose of God. Sometimes we just need to be awakened to the reality that God is hiding in plain sight. Matthew 7, 7 says it like this, ask, seek, knock. He makes it clear, you seek and you will find him. God wants to be found like a game of hide and seek. Who has kids in here? I have a little nine-year-old and when she plays hide and seek, she covers her eyes tight She counts to 10, and she opens her eyes, giddy excited to go find the person hiding. Guess what? God isn't hiding. He's right there. When she opens her eyes, he's hiding in plain sight. Throughout Scripture, God is being revealed in unique ways. I'm going to highlight two specific stories in the Bible that show us this revelation from God. Genesis 28 tells of the Jacob, the trip when he was going from Beersheba to Haran when he stopped for the night to sleep. Jacob was awakened from a spiritual prophetic dream and he said this, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. He went on to say, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Now where was Jacob when he made this statement? Not a tabernacle, not a worship gathering or even a church conference. It was on a camping trip, my friends, and it was definitely not glamping, at least in my definition of glamping. The campsite itself became the place and the space that worship happened in a unique way. Through a dream, Jacob was awakened to God's presence in the middle of a camping trip. He then takes his stone pillow and uses it to set up a memorial, and he names it Bethel, which means house of God, and it became the place for worship. There's another story in the Bible, the woman at the well. She had a surprising encounter with Jesus too. Ironically, she was at Jacob's well when this happened, and she had so many questions for Jesus. Jesus wasn't even supposed to be talking to her because cultural norms said, no, you don't talk to a Samaritan woman. One of her biggest questions was where to worship Jesus, her ancestors, mountain, or Jerusalem? Which place is right? 
And Jesus responded with the how instead of the where. When he said this in John 4, 23 through 24, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. It's who we are and the way you live that counts before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for. Those who simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Who are simple and honest in their worship before him. After this, Jesus reveals himself to the woman at the well as the Messiah. And what does she do? She takes off. She runs to the village and she tells everyone she knows about Jesus. His very words had just changed her life in a matter of minutes. He had given her a taste of eternal living water. And it filled the God-shaped hole that was in her life. And she couldn't be silent. So in, in our John devotional this summer, I want to quote two amazing women from our church. The first one is Allison Myers, and she's a part of our worship staff here. This is what she says about John, John's gospel. Many Samaritans did come to believe that day. Some scholars consider the woman at the well the very first missionary. Words can set you free. And then Marilinda Lynch, our choir director here at Redeemer, stated in her devotional, once Jesus read her soul, the process of transformation began. She was free to witness and then worship in spirit and in truth. Here's the bottom line. Once we have tasted of the living water that only Jesus can give, it's hard to not hold back your praise. It's hard not to tell others about Jesus and his majesty and his wonder. Spiritual worship rooted in the truth of God's word is transformational, and it overflows into every part of our lives. Finally, Worship unifies us as followers of Christ. I'm taking my cue this morning from Pastor Bill, who talked a few weeks ago about citizenship. I loved his approach when he talked about the things that we have in common rather than what divides us. He shared with me an old Protestant Reformation principle that worship should be these three things, reverent, festive, and beautiful. I totally agree. There is such a rich theology of wisdom and intentionality around our corporate worship experience here at the church. This morning we said the Apostles' Creed together. That's a historic and theological reminder that we join the voices and all the voices that have gone before us to declare the same thing, that what we believe and how we unite in our Christian community. There is such power in those unifying words. Unfortunately, Sunday morning has often become the most divided hour of the week in churches across America. Traditional versus modern, young versus old, black versus white. Our goal at Redeemer is to bring our church together, creating quality, excellent, unique, creative, intentional, spiritually engaging services for our multi-generational church. Now, if you're taking notes, this is where you take the notes. And keep me accountable. Quality, excellent, unique, creative, intentional, spiritually engaging services for all of us here in this room and online. Our hope and our goal is that when you come here, you feel invited into a deeper experience with God. That you take a step closer to him through scripture, through music, through prayer, through song, sermon, communion, and encouraging words words from each other. That is what this community is for us as worshipers. 
Can I be completely honest and vulnerable with you this morning? This has been a difficult season to lead and live in. Uh, Kind of like doing the same daily exercise that you've always done with 20 pounds more of weight. It can be really exhausting. And as a musician and a worship leader, it's been hard to look over our precious congregation and invite you, even wearing masks, to take a deep breath and sing out. (laughs) Here's the good news. Thank goodness it's not about the song. It's about our soul. It's about our hearts and our minds and our strength. Everything we are turned towards him. So even if we can't sing the best right now, we can still worship. Bill Gaither, this summer, I was listening to a podcast that he is in charge of, and he said this, quote, we are not all in the same boat, but we are all in the same storm. We are navigating this new church normal together. It's not easy by any means but we're doing it. And the encouraging word for us is, for 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has faced obstacles, persecution, and survived, even thrived, in the face of such difficulty. I truly believe that we will emerge stronger and more focused on our mission as we do these two things. We learn to love God with our whole heart and soul, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. While I was working on my doctoral degree, I ended up writing a dissertation. I brought it today just in case somebody wants to read it at the end of the sermon. Not that many people have. When I met with my dissertation chair at the beginning, he said, this is going to be like peeling an onion. And I didn't quite understand until about six months in to many red marks and edits and changes. And I, I was crying in his office and I remembered that statement. Yes, it is, like an onion. But... The good news is I actually got to do this on the subject of worship, which I love. Um, The name of this big book is The Essence of Christian Worship, A Lived Experience, which was a phenomenological qualitative research project looking at the commonalities that we share as worshipers. Now, I've heard that in our congregation, we have quite a bit of accountants, yes? So I apologize in advance that I did not choose the quantitative research route, rich with numbers and charts. However, I got the honor to listen to many worshipers talk about their worship experiences with God. The participants were all ages and stages, all different places in the country. They didn't worship in the same church or the the same state, much less. But to my delight, commonalities began to emerge as I listened and I dictated each interview. I began to hear about God visiting people in unique ways, inside and outside the church building. Many talked about their corporate gathered worship experience like what we're experiencing today. They talked about the word, the song, sacrament, and prayer. But often, the conversation turned to daily events that became an altar, a Bethel moment for them. One thing that surprised me was in the middle of the most difficult, heavy life experiences, people felt closest to God. Go figure. In the struggle, they found a savior. And they were running towards him, and he was running towards them. In all the seasons of life, God showed up. Several participants even talked about the closest that they ever felt to God was during the death of a loved one who was a Christian. One participant described the very moment her husband died with this, quote, there was a holy hush, such a presence of God in the room the moment he died. Another person described her sister. There was unity there. We stood around her bed 
and we told her goodbye. We sang, we prayed, we thanked God for her life. It sounds almost like a mini worship service. In that moment, the air was thin between heaven and earth. The gap was small between creator and created. I too have experienced something similar when my uncle passed many years ago. We were all in his room and we were singing like a mini worship service. And the song that came to mind was this, these words. I don't even know if you know this song, but it's, I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. In that moment of death, God was there. Heaven touched earth for just a moment and ushered a child of God into the throne room. No wonder so many describe death as a worship experience, a holy moment, a God visitation. I had the joy of working at a church in Northern California, Menlo Park, California, and my former boss and author, John Ortberg, wrote this in one of his many, many books. The story of the Bible isn't primarily about the desire of people to be with God. It's about the desire of God to be with his people. So I guess God's an extrovert, (laughs) pursuing us, hiding in plain sight, trying to get our attention through the everydayness of our lives. Jeremiah 29 says this, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will be found. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Do you know what the most frequent promise in the scripture is? Do you want to guess? No takers? It is, I will be with you. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, God promises that he is with us. If you question it, read Psalm 23. And when we are awakened to the very presence of God, whether it's in this church right now, or at the park playing with our kids after church, or in a hospital room, or in an empty house, we can make that place, this place, a sanctuary, a place where God will dwell. Today we are worshiping here, gathered together in this beautiful, beautiful room. Those watching online, you have made your sofa your Bethel today. He is with you, and God is right here with us. He wants to be found. He's just waiting for us to stop counting to 10 in our daily hide-and-seek game of life, open our eyes wide, and with giddy excitement, find that he's right in front of us, waiting patiently as we turn our hearts and our minds towards him. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we will not miss you in everyday moments. That is our worship. For just a moment, I'd like us all to close our eyes. I want you to think of the last time that we simply and honestly came to our Father. Maybe you were in search of the way, the truth, the life. Here's the good news. He will reveal himself to you because you asked. James 4, 8 promises, come close to God and God will come close to you. He is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of concerns or doubts. He can withstand anything you bring to him. And he knows you, he created you to know him intimately. Let him fill your life today with his light. And maybe you're a believer today, but you need a fresh revelation from an imminent God who is eager to speak to you, 
to have a daily conversation with you about every decision, every life experience. Picture the God of this universe reaching his arm out to you, fingers almost touching. Let's close that gap right here and right now. His greatest desire is to be with us in every moment. That's worship. That's worship. I'm going to give us a few moments of silence before going back into a song. Yes, you can worship in silence. Make this moment your Bethel moment with God. Let's worship. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.